Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. And this is Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Coyotes. So that's that's where we are. Uh, Yeah, um, I I had to bring it up because it was pretty crazy. (laughs) We are actually recording this episode uh, while on vacation in the north woods of Minnesota. Uh, We're hanging out in a cabin. It's lovely. It has been a much needed break from the craziness of the real world. Yeah, Uh, I haven't seen like another human being except for like when we were hiking a little bit. But even then it was in passing. And I had more interaction with puppies than with people, so... <laughs> Which is a good way to live your life all the time. I mean, yeah, puppies. Puppy love. More more puppies than people. But I like puppies, that. Puppies, yeah. So then, speaking of puppies, <laughs> coyotes. So we were just <laughs> sitting down there the other night, and all of a sudden, like, we're in the hot tub, because his aunt and uncle, whose cabin this is, have a classic old wooden hot tub, which is so cool, because you heat it with an actual fire, um... And it's been a lot of fun and amazing. And uh, we're just sitting there and all of a sudden it's like, and I'm like, holy crap. (laughs) And Ken's like, well, the moon must have just come up. I'm like, so are these coyotes or werewolves? What's going on? I'm not from this area. And and I told her the truth. I said, these are definitely were-coyotes. Yeah. Um, and I just was like, okay, that's fine. You know, it's 2020. I kind of accept that insanity happens. Yeah. I, I suppose murdered by a pack of were-coyotes was not on my 2020 bingo card. It wasn't on my bingo card, but neither was uh, a hurricane uh, happening in, in eastern Iowa. Iowa. Yeah. I'm sending love Jeebus. to all my friends um, and my parents. Uh, we actually left... Iowa a day before uh, we drove up here and it was kind of stormy on the way up and we kept like commenting on how the sky was crazy weird and then 24 hours later a Dureco is what it's called it's a land hurricane hit eastern Iowa like Cedar Rapids where I went to college and lived for a while and Iowa City which is just about 30 minutes south of there it was like 110 mile per hour wind gusts. It's considered a category two hurricane. And for the record, there is a difference between land hurricane and tornado. Yes. Because this, like when we're talking hurricane, we're talking, there was like, it, this was tornado during thunderstorm. It was the size of a hurricane. Yeah. Like it was covering. I mean, um, I mean, the, the storm lasted like as it was moving, it lasted for like an hour or two. In one place. So it is like a, it's like a hurricane. Tornadoes yeah. hit and go and like they are destructive in their own way. But like, this is crazy. So I'm um, sending love to all my friends and family down there because a lot of them still don't have power and the government is not really helping. I'm not going to get super political, but Kim Reynolds can suck my butt. Uh, that wasn't super political. <laughs> And if you don't agree with me, then I guess you don't need to listen to this I think, podcast. I think, I actually, in fairness, I don't think that was political. I think that was personal. That was personal and uh, just facts. That was just <laughs> factual. Um, so I hope all my friends in Iowa um, get get uh, get back to normal soon and you get the support you need because I love you all. And we'll be back there in about three days. So we'll yeah. help. If you need anything, please reach out. Um, 
And speaking of helping, we got um, two new patrons last week that were kind of amazing. Oh, that's right. I oh, know. Crap. I know. We I need to do a thing. I'll let you talk. We do have to write them a song because I, I, I'm not going to say what level they are, but let's just say they were like ultra producers. <laughs> they they exceeded expectations. Exceeded expectations. They are not technically uh, on board as any of our tiers, but um, we have decided that they'll they'll get all, despite not having joined at a tier, they'll be getting all of the producer level tier. Yeah. Um, patron kickbacks yeah and their names are chris and al hattinger and they actually met the, i have never met them and neither is ken and um this is what we love like we're getting support from some some people who just enjoy what we're doing and they actually met my parents on a river cruise in europe in prague and they have like skype dates with my parents well zoom dates with my parents and um they just uh they're from new jersey and uh, we just want to say a huge thank you to Chris and Al for supporting our work here at 5050 and Campfire Classics. So we got to write you a song now. So here comes your thank you song. But in fairness, um, while you're about to hear it right now, there's probably going to be about three minutes of really ugly sounds that I edit out while I tune my guitar. <laughs> Um, so, uh, While give you me, tune, I can, like, so chat. Give me, so give me one second of silence. They're coming to take me away. Ha -ha! They're coming to take me away. Alright, so we have tuned the guitar. Uh, so the guitar is kind of in tune now. And, um... <laughs> and here we are in this cabin. And we here alone. we are in a cabin. And, uh, if you... Become a patron, you'll be able to see a video of us recording this song. <clears throat> so it is live. So once again, Chris and Al Hattinger, thank you. Here is your impromptu thank you song. How do we express our gratitude in words that don't sound like platitude? I guess we've got to adjust attitude of how we say thank you. We're not going to be playing this audio clip for Lino. Lino might come and find you, but yeah, thank you. You guys are the best. All right, so I that's cool. That's business. That's, that's enough business and yeah, general 50-50 like, 
talk, I think we should get to Campfire Classics. Let's get to Campfire Classics. All right. We're in the woods and we're going to read stories. Yeah. So today uh, we've got another uh, recommendation. Um, this is an English author by the name of Wilkie Collins. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Lauren. Lauren Jaggers, who is a publisher in New York and a friend of mine, um, uh, found out we were doing this and was like, oh, you should check this person out. So, All right. Cool. So, so here's a little bit of information on uh, Wilkie Collins. So William Wilkie Collins, uh, Wilkie is his middle name, not, not apparently a nickname. Uh, family middle name. William Wilkie Collins was born in January 1824, an English novelist, playwright, and short story writer, best known for his books The Woman in White, which has been adapted into several films and an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. Andrew Lloyd Webber! <laughs> and The Moonstone, which has been called the first modern English detective novel. Oh. His father, William Collins, was a painter in London, but Wilkie actually grew up in France learning French and Italian. Uh, his mother insisted on the family going to church. She was very religious. Wilkie hated it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, after his first novel, Antonina, um, appeared in 1850, Wilkie met Charles Dickens, who became a close friend and mentor. And in fact, some of Collins' early works appeared first in um, Dickens' like journals and magazine publications. Oh, did he get paid by the word too? Probably. <laughs> um, Collins uh, got sort of an international following um, through his better known works in the 60s and um, established a, a financially comfortable stability sort of he was, thing. He was not but, a starving artist. He was, right, he was no longer a starving artist, but he developed the rich man's disease. Oh. Uh, he, got, he got gout. Um, started taking opium for the pain <laughs> and developed an opioid addiction. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in the 1870s and 80s, his health and his writing started declining as... Or it got a, real good. As, as a result of his, uh, his opium dependency. Um, throughout his life, Wilkie Collins was hypercritical of the institution of marriage... In fact, he split his time between his girlfriend, Carolyn Graves, and his common-law wife, Martha Rudd, with whom he had three children. You know, I'm not going to lie, and I don't want to, like, take us on a crazy tangent, but, like, H.G. Wells also has, like, I haven't gotten to that, because we H.G. Wells we've done twice, and mm -hmm. that's a fun fact that I hadn't hit. Super, like, super, like, sex party fan. <laughs> um... But so when when he died following a paralytic stroke in September 1889, Ooh. he was buried in Kensal Green Cemetery in West London. His headstone calls him the author of The Woman in White. So clearly that was the thing he was Apparently most famous for. That was for. the good one. And when Carolyn Graves, the woman who was not his wife, died in 1895, <gasps> she was buried next to him. Oh, damn. Martha Rudd. Died like 26 years later. And she's like, yeah, I'm over it. I'm she, good. I don't know. We're, we're, we're cool. She's like, that's fine. He was he was okay. Yeah. He had gout. So that <laughs> um, is a little bit of fun facts and All right. um, odd behavior from Wilkie Collins. Also, if you look up a picture of him, which I'm not doing because uh, right now our internet is kind of weird. 
Um, as a young man, he was clean shaven. As he got older, not only did he have a mustache, he had a wicked beard. I'm looking it up because... Yeah, scroll. Oh my god, he has a fantastic quarantine beard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, that looks freaking amazing. That actually looks kind of like Rick's beard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Rick Wasserman. This guy has a beard that rivals your own. Yeah, Ricky Wasserman, check this guy out. Wilkie Collins is giving you a run for your money right now. (laughs) So, uh, anyway, so that's, that's a bit about Wilkie Collins. This is the story... Blow Up with the Brig, a sailor's story (gasps) by Wilkie Collins. It's on a boat? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) All right. Blow Up with... Oh, we got to start the fire. Let's take the fire. We started so many fires this week, we forgot. (laughs) Okay. Blow Up with the Brig, a sailor's story by Wilkie Collins. I have got an alarming confession to make. I am haunted by a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, shit. (laughs) Well, that that gets to the point pretty quick. You know what? I know where we are now. I I know what this story's about. All right. If you were to guess for a hundred years, you would never guess what my ghost is. I shall make you laugh to begin with. And afterward, I shall make your flesh creep. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) At least he warns us. The ghost is the ghost of a bedroom candlestick. (laughs) It's Lumiere. Oh shit, the ghost of Lumiere. Oh no. Yes, a bedroom, well he said he was gonna make us laugh, and that made me laugh. Um, All right, so 10 points so far. He has set up what the story's about, he has told us what is going to happen, and then he has followed through. So I'm in. I'm I'm into truth and storytelling. I'm on board, yeah, thanks Lauren. Yes, a bedroom candlestick and candle, or a flat candlestick and candle. Put it which way you like. That is what haunts me. I wish it was something pleasanter and more out of the common way. A beautiful lady, or a mine of gold and silver, or or a cellar of wine and a coach and horses. I mean, I would love to be haunted by all those things. Yeah. Uh, I could do with a beautiful lady who owns a gold mine and takes me down to her wine cellar and lets me ride her horses. (laughs) Ride her horses. (laughs) (laughs) But being what it is, I must take it for what it is and make the best of it. And I shall thank you kindly if you will help me out by doing the same. Okay, we accept you. All right. I am not a scholar myself, but I make bold to believe that the haunting of any man with anything under the sun begins with the frightening of him. At any rate, the haunting of me with a bedroom candlestick and candle began with the frightening of me with... with (laughs) I think he definitely gets paid by the word. Uh, this does have this does have a little bit of the flavor of, of Mr. Dickens. Uh, what was that one called? Uh, the uh, um, the to be read after dusk. Yes. Yes. This, um, does, this does have a bit of the flavor of to be read at dusk. Just a lot of words. Uh, I'm going to start that whole paragraph over. I am not a scholar myself, but I make bold to believe that the haunting of any man with anything under the sun begins with the frightening of him. At any rate. The haunting of me with a bedroom candlestick and candle began with the frightening of me with a bedroom candlestick and candle. 
the frightening of me half out of my life, and, for the time being, the frightening of me altogether out of my wits. Oh dear. That is not a very pleasant thing to confess before stating the particulars, but perhaps you will be the readier to believe that I am not a downright coward, because you find me bold enough to make a clean breast of it already, to my own great disadvantage so far. Here are the particulars, as well as I can put them. I was apprenticed to the sea when I was about as tall as my own walking stick, and I made good enough use of my time to be fit for a mate's birth at the age of 25 years. He's So he's a sailor All right. boy. All right. It was in the year 1818 or 19, I'm not quite certain which, that I reached the before-mentioned age of 25. He doesn't remember his own age. I <laughs> <laughs> can't remember when I was 25. You know, somewhere around there. You know, honestly, I forget my age. <laughs> well, and I, I guess that's probably a less common issue than, or a more common issue than you'd actually think for uh, two major reasons. One, birth certificates were not, honestly always doled out yeah. so a lot of people's birthdays were, were sort of suggestions. like ah, well i know i was baptized on this date so i must have been born sometime yeah. between here and here and the other thing is i don't remember exactly when it happened but sometime in the i think in the late 18th early 19th century um the the uh the standardized calendar that we use switched oh. um so really, like there, there you are people know. who suddenly went from, and I could have the the year when this happened way off, but there were suddenly people who went from being, you know, I'm forty years old to oh crap, now I'm fifty. How did that happen? Oh, it's because the calendar changed. <laughs> oh, that sucks, especially then, because like life expectancy was like fifty. So you're yeah. like, oh damn, I thought I had ten good years left in me. <laughs> Well, shit. Well, I guess I'm going to go die now. <laughs> oh, well. Moving on. I'll go find a candlestick. Ah, uh, So anyway, this guy's trying to figure out when he was 26. He was 25. 25. 25. You, will please, you will please to excuse my memory not being very good for dates, names, numbers, places, and like, so his memory sucks. Oh, okay. No fear, though, about the particulars I have undertaken to tell you of. I have got them all ship-shape in my recollection. I can see them at this moment, as clear as noonday in my own mind. But there is a mist over what went before. And for the matter of that, a mist likewise over much that came after. And it's not very likely to lift at any time in my life, is it? Well, in 1818... Or 19, when there was peace in our part of the world, and not before it was wanted, you will say, there was fighting of a certain scampering, scrambling kind, going on in the old battlefield, which we seafaring men know by the name of the Spanish Main. Okay. The possessions that belonged to the Spaniards in South America had broken into open mutiny and declared for themselves years before. There was plenty of bloodshed between the new government and the old, but the new had got the best of it. For the most part, under one General Bolivar, a famous man in his time, though he seems to have dropped out of people's memories now. Englishmen and Irishmen, with a turn for fighting and nothing particular to do at home, joined the General as volunteers, 
And some of our merchants here found it a good venture to send... <laughs> what? <laughs> Englishmen and Irishmen who were bored and liked fighting <laughs> joined the Navy, because why the fuck not? Because let's fuck some people up! Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Like... <laughs> All right, so we're at war. Um, and there was risk enough, of course. Uh, wait, nope. Englishmen and Irishmen was a term. Those are very long sentences. So yep. if, if I stop in the middle, I have to go back quite a ways. Yeah, so so read about the, the bored, the bored violent, violent Englishmen. Right. Englishmen and Irishmen, with a turn for fighting and nothing particular to do at home, joined the general as volunteers. And some of our merchants here found it a good venture to send supplies across the ocean to the popular side. There was risk enough, of course, in doing this. But where one speculation of the kind succeeded, it made up for two, at the least, that failed. And that's the true principle of trade. Whatever I have met with, all the world over. Among the Englishmen who were concerned in this Spanish-American business, I, your humble servant, happened in a small way to be one. I just had a Hamilton quote in my head. <laughs> your obedient servant, A. a Burr, A. Ham. I was then mate of a brig belonging to a certain firm in the city, which drove a sort of general trade, mostly in queer, out-of-the-way places, as far from home as possible, and which freighted and which freighted the brig in the year I am speaking of with a cargo of gunpowder for General Bolivar and his volunteers. Ooh, cargo of gunpowder yeah. and a candlestick is not a good combination. This is not a good situation. You got a haunted candlestick and a bunch of freaking explosives. Nobody knew anything about our instructions when we sailed, except the captain, and he didn't half seem to like them. I can't rightly say how many barrels of powder we had on board or how many each barrel held. I only know that there was no other cargo. The name of the brig was The Good Intent. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, trying to cover something up there? All right. The <laughs> I have road... a feeling it's not good intent. The road to hell. <laughs> a queer name enough, and you will tell me, for a vessel laden with gunpowder. See, he knows. And sent to help a revolution. And, as far as this particular voyage was concerned, so it was. I mean that for a joke, and I hope you will encourage me by laughing at it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I love this guy. Oh god, I want to I see, see Wilkie Collins' stand-up special. Yeah, this is funny. He's like, by the way, that was, la like, that was funny, so you can laugh. <laughs> I just flew in from the coast, and boy, are my arms tired. That, by the way, is a pun, and you're supposed to laugh at it, because it means that I flew by flapping my arms. <laughs> I was on a ship you called The Good Intent, full of explosive devices and a haunted candlestick. Go ahead and laugh. It's funny, I promise. Jesus. <laughs> the good intent was the craziest old tub of a vessel I ever went to sea in, and the worst found in all respects. She had 230 or 280 tons of burden. I forget which. <laughs> she had a crew of eight, all told, nothing like as many as we ought by rights to have to work that brig. However, we were well and honestly paid our wages, and we had to set that against the chance of foundering at sea on this occasion. Likewise, the chance of being blown up in the bargain. <laughs> in consideration of the nature of our cargo, we were harassed with new regulations, which we didn't at all like, <laughs> relative to smoking our pipes and lighting our lanterns, and 
As usual in such cases, the captain who made the regulation preached that he didn't practice. (laughs) (laughs) So he's like, you guys can't smoke or have lanterns at night, but he's up there every night doing all that shit. But I'm going to do it. But I can do what I want. So that's, this is not going to end well. Not a man of us was allowed to have a bit of lighted candle in his hand when he went below, except the skipper, and he used his light when he when he turned in or when he looked over his charts on the cabin table, just as usual. The light was a common kitchen candle or dip, and it should in old battered flat and it stood in an old battered flat candlestick with all the Japan worn and melt Japan. The Japan, it's like a lowercase Japan worn and melted off. What's that? I, I am intrigued. Know. Like the wax? Is that an old word for wax? With all the Japan worn and melted off. And all the tin showing. Or is it like the shine? Japan wax is used in candles, furniture polishes, floor waxes. Yeah, it's like the, the, the uh, um, finish. With all the Japan worn and melted off. And all the tin showing through. It would have been more semen-like. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been more semen-like to polish that candlestick. Yeah, gotta <laughs> polish that candlestick. And suitable in every respect if he had had a lamp or a lantern. But he stuck to his old candlestick. And that same old candlestick has ever afterwards stuck to me. That's another joke, if you please. <laughs> And a better one than the first, in my opinion. <laughs> it's the literary version of Badoom. I love it. Well, I said well before, but it's a word that helps a man on like. <laughs> he just commented on his use of like, um. <laughs> well, we sail in the brig and shaped our course first for the Virgin Islands in the West Indies. And after sighting them, we made for Leeward Islands next. And then stood on due south till the lookout at the masthead hailed the deck and said he saw land. That land was the coast of South America. We had a very wonderful voyage so far. We had lost none of our spares or sails and not a man of us had been harassed to death at the pumps. That's good. It wasn't often the good intent made such a voyage as that, I can tell you. (laughs) <laughs> it always had the intent to have a good voyage, but never really did. Didn't always work. Yeah, I was sent aloft to make sure about the land, and I did make sure of it. When I reported the same to the skipper, he went below and had a look at his letter of instructions and the chart. When he came on the deck again, he altered our course a trifle to the eastward. I forgot the point on the compass, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> what I do remember is that it was dark before we closed in on land. That's not good. Nope. Not awesome. Just stay at the fucking sea until the sun comes up. We kept the lead going and hove in the brig to uh, and hove in the brig to in from four or five fathoms water, or it might have been six. I can't say for certain. <clears throat> I love this guy. I kept a sharp eye on the drift of the vessel, none of us knowing how the currents ran on the coast. We all wondered why the skipper didn't anchor, but he said no. He must first show a light at the foretop masthead and wait for an answering light on the shore. We did wait, and nothing of the sort appeared. It was starlit and calm. What little wind there was came in puffs off the land. I suppose we waited, drifting a little to the westward, 
as I made it out, best part of an hour before anything happened. And then, instead of seeing the light on the shore, we saw a boat coming toward us, rowed by two men only. We hailed them, and they answered, Friends! and hailed us by our name. They came on board. One of them was an Irishman, and the other was a coffee-colored native pilot who jabbed a little English. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, I mean, it's just describing his skin color. Mm -hmm. um, the Irishman handed a note to our skipper, who showed it to me, and informed us that the part of the coast we were off was not over safe for discharging our cargo, seeing that spies of the enemy that is to say, the old government, had been taken and shot in the neighborhood the day before. Oh, damn. Oops. <laughs> we might trust the brig to the native pilot, and he had his instructions to take us to another part of the coast. The note was signed by the proper parties, so we let the Irishman go back alone in the boat and allowed the pilot to exercise his lawful authority over the brig. All right, so they've got now a local on board. Yeah, as local who's pilot. giving, like, instructions. He kept us stretching off from the land till noon the next day. His instructions, seemingly orderly, um, uh, seemingly ordering him to keep us well out of sight from the shore. We only altered our course in the afternoon, so as close in as with the land again a little before midnight. Why do they keep coming in dark? The same pilot was about as ill-looking a vagabond as ever I saw, a skinny, cowardly, quarrelsome man who swore at the men in the vilest broken English till there was every one of them ready to pinch him overboard. <laughs> All right, so he's, he's pissing like, people off. Kind of a he's dick. He's like, hey, you stupid British people that came here just for fighting. I don't like you. Fuck off. The skipper kept him quiet, and I kept them quiet for the pilot being given us by our instructions, we were bound to make the best of him. Near nightfall, however, with the best will in the world to avoid it, I was unlucky enough to quarrel with him. He wanted to go below with his pipe, and I stopped him, of course, because it was contrary to orders. <laughs> Upon that, he tried to hustle by me, and I put him away with my hand. I never meant to push him down, but somehow I did. He picked himself up as quick as lightning and pulled out his knife. I snatched it out of his hand, slapped his murderous face for him, and threw his weapon overboard. <laughs> Damn. This guy's a ninja. Dude came at me with a knife and I said, no, bitch, mine. Like, no, you can't smoke. I push you down. Nope, don't stab me. Bye. He gave me one ugly look, look and walked aft. That means in the back of the ship. <laughs> I know that. Aft I'm... means ass words. It means ass word. Aft. I didn't think much of the look then, but I remembered it a little too well afterward. We were close in with the land again, just as the wind failed us between 11 and 12 that night and dropped our anchor by the pilot's instructions. It was pitch black and a dead airless calm. The skipper was on deck with two of our best men for watch. The rest were below, except the pilot, who coiled himself up, more like a snake than a man on the forecastle. It was not my watch till four in the morning, but I didn't like the look of the night, or the pilot, or the state of things generally, and I shook myself down on deck to get my nap there, and be ready for anything at a moment's notice. The last... The last I remember was the skipper whispering to me that he didn't like the look of things either, and that he would go below and consult his instructions again. 
That is the last I remember before the slow, heavy, regular roll of the old brig on the ground swell rocked me off to sleep. I awoke that by a... That sounds like a terrible thing to go to sleep I to. I know. I'm like, right. I would just stay up. I'd, I'd make right. some coffee and be like, you know what? I think I should be awake for I this. I don't like what's going on. <laughs> Cappy doesn't like what's going on. Like, like... Maybe this isn't a great time for a nap. A guy just tried to kill me with a knife? I mean, they are sailors in the 1800s. Weird yeah, shit. I mean, they, they're lucky pirates aren't there. Or maybe this guy is a pirate that's on the ship right now. Who knows? I mean, he's a pretty bad pirate if he got disarmed by this like yeah. sailor boy <laughs> who doesn't know names, faces, or numbers. Uh, <laughs> but apparently he's really quick at disarming people. Um, I awoke by a scuffle on the forecastle and a gag in my mouth. Oh, shit. Shouldn't have taken a nap, dude. There was a man on my breast and a man on my legs, and I was bound hand and foot in half a minute. The brig was in the hands of the Spaniards. Freaking Spaniards. They were swarming all over her. I heard six heavy splashes in the water, one after another. I saw the captain stabbed to the heart as he came running up the companion, and I heard a seventh splash in the water. Except myself, every soul on uh, of us on board had been murdered and thrown into the sea. That was fast. Wow. Lots of dead folk. Why was I left, I couldn't think, till I saw the pilot stoop over me with a lantern and look to make sure who I was. There was a devilish grin on his face, and he nodded his head at me as much to say as, you were the man who hustled me down and slapped my face. And I mean to play the game of cat and mouse with you in return for it. Mm. Oh, no! <laughs> I could neither move nor speak, but I could see the Spaniards take off the main hatch and rig the purchases for getting up the cargo. A quarter of an hour afterward, I heard the sweeps of a schooner or a other small vessel in the water. The strange craft was laid alongside us, and the Spaniards set up to work to discharge our cargo into her. They So basically, pirates. I mean, they yeah. basically just pirated them. Yep. They all worked hard. See, I, I should have known. I was like, <laughs> at least there's no pirates. Oh, oh wait. wait. <laughs> um, Knock on wood. Whoops. They all worked hard except the pilot, and he came from time to time with his lantern to have another look at me. And to grin and nod always in the same devilish way. I'm old enough now not to be ashamed of confessing the truth. And I don't mind acknowledging that the pilot frightened me. <laughs> I'm old enough now not to be ashamed of the fact that I pooped my I pants. I pooped my pants multiple times during this encounter. The fright and the bonds and the gag and the not being able to stir hand or foot had pretty nigh worn me out by the time the Spaniards gave over work. This was just as the dawn broke. They had shifted a good part of our cargo on board to their vessel, but nothing like all of but nothing like all of it. They were sharp enough to be off with what they had got before daylight. Oh, okay. So they didn't get all of it because they wanted to do it all in the dark. Yeah, they wanted to be off the ship by the time the sun came up. I need hardly say that I had made up my mind by this time to the worst I could think of. The pilot was clear enough was one of the spies of the enemy ha who had wormed himself into the confidants of our consignees without... <laughs> consignees? consignees? I don't know why I said it like that. 
<laughs> Consignees? <laughs> Wee! Who had wormed himself into the confidence of our consignees without being suspected. He or more likely his employers had got knowledge enough of us to suspect what our cargo was. We had been anchored for the night in the safest berth for them to surprise us in, and we'd had paid the penalty for having a small crew and consequently an insufficient watch. All of this was clear enough, but what did the pilot mean to do with me? On the work, you're gonna get a haunted candlestick (laughs) shoved up your butthole. On the word of a man, it makes my flesh creep now, only to tell you what he did with me. After all, the rest of them were out of the brig, except the pilot and two Spanish seamen. These, (laughs) oh, so I'm twelve, ten year old. I'm a a ten year old, Um, and two Spanish seamen. These. Last, uh, what? Except the pilot and two Spanish seamen, these last took me up, bound and gagged as I was. Okay, I'm going to start that whole thing again. After all the rest of them were out of the brig, except the pilot and two Spanish seamen, these last took me up, bound and gagged as I was, lowered me into the hold of the vessel, and laid me along the floor, lashing me to it with rope's ends so that I could just turn from one side to the other, but could not roll myself fairly over, so as to change my place. Then they left me. Both of them were the worse for liquor, but the devil of a pilot was sober, mind that, as sober as I am at the present moment. I lay in the dark for a little while with my heart thumping as if it was jumping out of me. I lay for five minutes or so when the pilot came down into the hold, alone. He had the captain's cursed flat candlestick and a carpenter's owl in one in one hand. Owl. All. All. A-W-L. Yeah. yeah. Pokey thing. <laughs> a carpenter's pokey thing in one hand. And a long, thin twist of cotton yarn, well oiled in the other. He put this candlestick... He... <laughs> He put the candlestick with the new dip candle lighted in it down on the floor about two feet from my face and close against the side of the vessel. The light was feeble enough, but it was sufficient to show a dozen barrels of gunpowder. Oh my God, he's going to blow him up. (laughs) That's the plan, clearly. Yeah, but this candlestick's about to do something else. (laughs) Uh, The... Lumiere's about to say, no! Be our guest! Be our guest! I will throw you overboard. (laughs) Be our guest! Be our guest! I'll throw you off the crow's nest. Hey! There it is! Tie yourself with rope and then gag you and we'll do all the rest. Okay, I got there. And moving on. I already made up one song today. Um, I don't have to be creative anymore. <laughs> I just need to read somebody else's words. I began to suspect that what he was after the moment I noticed the barrels. The horrors laid hold of me from head to foot, and the sweat poured off my face like water. I saw him go next to one of the barrels of powder standing against the side of the vessel in line with the candle and about three feet, or rather better, away from it. He bored a hole in the side of the barrel with his awl, his pointy thing, and the horrid powder came trickling out, 
as black as hell and dripped into the hollow of his hand, which he held to catch it. When he had got a good handful, he stopped up the hole by jamming up one of its oil twist of cotton yarn fast into it. He then rubbed the powder into the whole length of the yarn until he blackened every hair breath with it. The next thing he did, as true as I sit here, as true as the heaven above us all, the next thing he did was to carry the free end of his long, lean, black, frightful, slow match to the lighted candle alongside my face. He tied it, the bloody-minded villain, in several folds round the tallow dip, about a third of the distance down, measuring from the flame of the wick to the lip of the candlestick. He did that. He looked to me with my lashing, uh, to see that my lashings were all safe, and then he put his face close to mine and whispered in my ear, Blow up with the brig. What a dick. <laughs> what a dick. All because he, he, he just told you not to go downstairs and smoke, and then you tried to kill him, and then he threw your knife overboard. I mean, he was just trying to help. He really was, but blow up with the brig. He was on deck again the moment after, and he and the two others shoved the hatch on over me. At the furthermost end from where I lay, they had not fitted in quite, they had not fitted it down quite true, and I saw a blink of daylight glimmering in when I looked in that direction. I heard the sweeps of the schooner fall into the water, splash, splash, fainter and fainter, as they swept the vessel out of the dead calm to the ready of the wind in the offing. Fainter and fainter, splash, splash, for a quarter of an hour or more. While those sounds were in my ears, my ears were fixed on the... My eyes. <laughs> well, the, I was like, wow. Well, those sounds my ears were, were fixed on the candle. Don't ask me how I did this. I'm just multi-talented. I'm just super tricky. Well, sounds were in my ears. My eyes were fixed on the candle. It had been freshly lighted. If left to itself, it would burn for between six and seven hours. The slow match was twisted round it about a third of the way down, and therefore the flame would be about two hours reaching it. There I lay, gagged, bound, lashed to the floor, seeing my own life burning down by, with the candle by my side. There I lay, alone at sea, doomed to be blown to atoms, and to see the doom drawing on it, nearer and nearer with every fresh second of time, through nigh on two hours to come powerless to help myself and speechless to call for help to others the wonder to me is that i didn't cheat the flame the slow match and the powder and die of the horror of my situation before my first half hour was out in the hold of the brig yeah fair point like i'd just be like uh, didn't just give myself a heart attack yeah right that'd be so scary <laughs> like what I can't exactly say how long the command of my senses after I'd ceased to hear the splash of the schooners sweep in the water. I can trace back everything I did and everything I thought up to a certain point, but one past that, I get all abroad and lose myself in my memory now, much as I lost myself in my own feelings at the time. The moment the hatch was covered over me, I began, in every, as every other man would, have begun in my place with a frantic effort to free my hands in the mad panic i was in i cut my flesh with the lashings as if they had been knife blades 
but I never stirred them. There was less chance still of freeing my legs or of tearing myself from the fastenings that held me to the floor. I gave in when I was all but suffocated for want of breath. The gag, you will please to remember, was a terrible enemy to me. I could only breathe freely through my nose, and that it was but poor vent when a man in straining his strength as far as ever it will go. I gave in and lay quiet and got my breath again, my eyes glaring and straining at the candle at all time. This is terrifying. <laughs> When's it haunted? While I was staring this, this at feels it. Very, uh, this feels very poish in the sense of like, he, Poe likes to kill people by doing like slow, these, these like horrible, horrible long. But clearly he's not dead. Walling them up in a, in like, like bricking them up in yeah. the wall or like the pit in the pendulum. Yeah. Like clearly he's not dead or he's telling the story from the grave. That's, that could the, be it. That's that's the Shyamalanian <laughs> twist yes. ending to this. <laughs> it's not. The it's whole not time. actually that the candlestick is haunting him. He is haunting the candlestick. <laughs> oh, let's find out. Um, while I was staring at it, the notion struck me of how trying to blow out the flame by pumping a long breath at it suddenly through my nostrils. Yeah, use that breath support. It was too high above me and too far away from me to be reached in that fashion. I tried and tried and tried and then gave in again and lay quiet again, always with my eyes glaring at the candle and the candle glaring at me. The splash of the schooner's sweeps was very faint by this time. I could only just hear them in the morning stillness. Splash, splash, fainter and fainter. Splash, splash. Without exactly feeling my mind going, I began to feel it getting queer as early as this. The snuff of the candle was growing taller and taller, and the length of tallow between the flame and the slow match, which was the length of my life, was getting shorter and shorter. I calculated that I had rather less than an hour and a half to live. An hour and a half! Was there a chance in that time of a boat pulling up to the brig from shore? Whether the land near which was the vessel was anchored was in possession of our side or in possession of the enemy's side, I made out that they must sooner or later send to, send to hail the brig merely because she was a stranger in those parts. The question for me was, how soon? The sun had not risen yet, as I could tell by looking through the chink in the hatch. There was no coast village near us, as well we knew, before the brig was seized by seeing no lights on shore. There was no wind, as I could tell by listening, to bring any strange vessel near. If I had six hours to live, there might have been a chance for me, reckoning from sunrise to noon. But with an hour and a half, which had dwindled to an hour and a quarter by this time, or, in other words, with the earliness of the morning, the inhabited coast, and the dead calm all against me, there was not the ghost of a chance. <laughs> <laughs> The ghost of a chance. That, uh, for my listeners, is a pun. Please laugh at it. <laughs> I do love that this is kind of a creepy, <laughs> scary story, but he keeps being very funny, like in like very intentionally. As I felt that, I had another struggle, the last with my bonds, and only cut myself the deeper for my pains. I gave in once more and lay quiet and listened for the splash of the sweeps. Gone. Not a sound I could hear, but the blowing of a fish now and then on the surface of the sea, 
and the creak of the brig's crazy old spars as she rolled gently from side to side with a little swell there on the quiet water. An hour and a quarter, the wick grew terribly at the quarter slipped away, and the charred top of it began to thicken and spread out mushroom shape. It would fall off soon. Would it fall off red hot? Would the swing of the brig cant it over the side of the candle and let it down on the slow match? If it would, I had about ten minutes to live instead of an hour. This discovery set my mind for a minute on a new track altogether. I began to ponder with myself what sort of death blowing up might be. Painful. Well, it would be, surely, too sudden for that. Perhaps just one crash inside me or outside me or both and nothing more. Perhaps not even a crash. That and the death of the scattering of my living body of mine into millions of fiery sparks might all happen in the same instant. I couldn't make it out. I couldn't settle how it would be. The minutes of calmness in my mind let it left it before I had half done thinking, and I got all on I got all abroad again. I got, and I got all abroad again, like all mixed up again. I don't know. How do you spell it? A B R O A D. Abroad. I got oh, all abroad like again. Like overseas. Yeah. But in that context, I don't know it. Oh. Uh. In different directions over a wide area. So all His brain was scattered. 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 Um, when I came back to my thoughts, or when they came back to me, I can't say which, the wick was awfully tall. The flame was burning with the smoke above it. The charred top was broad and red and heavily spreading out up to its fall. My despair and horror at seeing it took me to a new way, which was good and right at any rate for my poor soul. I tried to pray in my own heart, you will understand, for the gag put all lip praying out of my power. <laughs> I tried, but the candle seemed to burn it up in me. I struggled hard to force my eyes from the slow, murdering flame and to look up through the chink in the hatch at the blessed daylight. I tried once, tried twice, and gave up. I next tried only to shut my eyes and keep them shut once, twice, and the second time I did it, God bless old mother and sister Lizzie. God keep them both and forgive me. That was all I had time to say in my own heart before my eyes opened again in spite of me. And the flame of the candle flew into them, flew all over me, and burned up the rest of my thoughts in an instance. Ooh. I couldn't hear the fish blowing now. I couldn't hear the creak of the spars. I couldn't think. I couldn't feel the sweat of my own death agony on my face. I could only look at the heavy, charred top of the wick. It swelled, tottering, bent over one side, dropping red-hot at the moment of its fall, black and harmless, even before the swing of the brig had canted it over the bottom of the candlestick. I caught myself laughing. Yes, laughing at the safe fall of the bit of wick. But for the gag, I should have screamed, uh, I should have screamed with laughing. As it was, I shook with it inside me, shook till the blood was in my head, and I was all but suffocated for want of breath. I had just sense enough left to feel that my own horrid laughter at that awful moment was the sign of my brain going at last. <laughs> yeah. And he cracked. Oh, no. Does this mean I'm crazy? Oh, I lost it. 
I had just sense enough left to make another struggle before my mind broke loose like a frightened horse and ran away from me. One comforting look at the blink of daylight through the hatch was what I tried for once more. The fight to force my eyes from the candle and to get one look at the daylight was the hardest I had yet, and I lost the fight. The flame had hold of my eyes as fast as the lashings had hold of my hands. I couldn't look away from it. I couldn't even shut my eyes when I tried that next for the second time. There was the wick growing tall once more. There was the space of unburned candles between the light and the slow match shortened to an inch or less. How much life did this inch leave me? Three quarters of an hour? Half an hour? Fifty minutes? Twenty minutes? Steady. An inch of tallow candle would burn longer than twenty minutes. An inch of tallow. The notion of a man's body and soul being kept together by an inch of tallow. Wonderful. Why, the greatest king that sits on the throne can't keep a man's body and soul together. And here's an inch of tallow that can do what the king can't. There's something to tell mother when I get home, which will surprise her more than all the rest of my voyages put together. I laughed inwardly again, and the thought of that, and shook and swelled and suffocated myself till the light of the candle leaped through my eyes and licked up the laughter and burned it out of me and made me all empty and cold and quiet once more. Holy crap! <laughs> he just this had a mental beret. This dude's going on a journey. I mean, like, let's be real. Yeah. Mother and Lizzie, I don't know when they came back, but they did come back, not as it seemed to me into my mind this time, but right down bodily before me in the hold of the brig. Yes, sure enough, there was Lizzie, just as light-hearted and as, and as unusual, no, unusual, <laughs> laughing at me. Laughing? Well, why not? Who is to blame Lizzie for thinking I'm lying on my back, drunk in the cellar with the beer barrels all around me? Steady, she's crying now, spinning round and round in a fiery mist, wringing her hands, screeching out for help, fainter and fainter like the splash of the schooner's sweeps. Gone. Burned up in the fiery mist. Mist? Fire? No, neither one or the other. It's mother's. It's mother makes the light. Mother knitting with ten flaming points on the ends of her fingers and thumbs and slow matches hanging in bunches all around her face instead of her own gray hair. Mother in her old armchair and the pilot's long skitty hands hanging over the back of the chair dripping with gunpowder. No, no gunpowder, no chair, no mother, nothing but the pilot's face shining red hot like a sun in the fiery mist, turning upside down in the fiery mist, running backward and forward along the slow match in the fiery mist, spinning millions of miles in a minute in the fiery mist, spinning itself smaller and smaller into one tiny point and that point darting into a sudden straight into my head, and then all fire and all mist, no hearing, no seeing, no thinking, no feeling, the brig, the sea, my own self, the whole world, all gone together. After what I've just told you, I know nothing and remember nothing until I woke up, as it seemed to me, in a comfortable bed, with two rough and ready men like myself sitting on each side of my pillow and a gentleman standing watching me from the foot of the bed. It was about seven in the morning. My sleep, or what seemed like my sleep to me, had lasted better than eight months. What? I was among my own countrymen in the island of Trinidad. 
The men at each side of my pillow were my keepers, turn and turn about, and the gentleman standing at the front of the bed was the doctor. What I said and did in those eight months, I never have known and never shall. I woke out of it as if from one long sleep. That's all I know. What? It was another two months or so before the doctor thought it safe to answer the questions I asked him. The brig had been anchored, just as I had supposed, off a part of the coast, which was lonely enough to make the Spaniards pretty sure of no interruption, as long as they managed their murderous work quietly under the cover of night. My life had not been saved from the shore, but from the sea. An American vessel, becalmed in the offing, had made out the brig as the sun rose, and the captain, having his time on his hands in consequence of the calm and seeing a vessel anchored where no vessel had any reason to be, had manned one of his boats and sent his mate with it to look a little closer into the matter and bring back a report of what he saw. What he saw when he and his men found the brig deserted and boarded her was the gleam of candlelight through the chink in the hatchway. The flame was within about a thread's breadth of the slow match when he lowered himself into the hold. And if he had not had the sense and coolness to cut the match in two with his knife before he touched the candle, he and his men might have been blown up along with the brig as well as me. The match caught and turned into sputtering red fire in a very act of putting the candle out. And if the communication of the powder barrel had not been cut off, and Lord only knows what might have happened. What became of the Spanish schooner and the pilot? I have never heard from the day to this. As for the brig, the Yankees took her. Here come the Yankees to <laughs> save the day. Yeah, New York. Um, Yankees took her. And <laughs> the they, baseball team came in. Yeah, the baseball, like A-Rod. Here comes A-Rod. <laughs> As for the brig, the Yankees took her, and they took me to Trinidad and claimed their salvage and got it, I hope, for their own sakes. I was landed just in the same state as when they rescued me from the brig. That is to say, clean out of my senses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was gone. But please to remember, it was a long time ago, and take my word for it, I was discharged cured, as I have told you. Bless your hearts. I'm all right now, as you may see. I'm a little shaken by telling the story, as is only natural. A little shaken, my good friends. That's all. That's the end. That did not go where I thought it was going to go. That was go. tense. Okay, so it's so, not a literal haunting. It is just, he it's, was it's haunted. It's a haunting of like the mind. A haunting of the mind, which is way creepier. <laughs> Holy crap. Psychological terror. Oh my God, that got so intense that I couldn't be funny. That, like, well, so I had, <laughs> um, I, I wish we'd done video recording of that because the last what third of that the whole portion where he's he's tied up yeah. under the um under uh, under the under decks the and staring yeah. at the can't my face was just this perpetual look of what the what what oh god yeah. what it was very much i had very much the same feeling as when i was reading the star oh yeah as, and that's as what i felt like like i was out. just like i was going through a page super like tense. fast yeah. <laughs> like i was like ah, ah, ah. i was like ooh, i want to act this this all is right. good <laughs> that was that was uh, all right that was another fun one lauren thank you for suggesting wilkie yeah wilkie's cool <laughs> yeah we'll probably be bringing bringing back some wilkie uh maybe trying to find 
a detective mystery, since apparently because that's, that's apparently the genre his, he his jam. But that was really he good. He started, yeah. That was that got crazy. <laughs> like, it got tense. That was the haunting of the mind. Yeah, a sailor's story. Ugh. So that was Blow Up with the Brig Blow by Wilkie Collins. The, yeah, Wilkie Collins. That's my jam. Whew. All the semen. So many semen. <laughs> there were Yankee so semen and semen. Spanish semen and English, English semen. semen and Irish semen. Yeah. And local local people semen. <laughs> Interesting that the the Irish and English semen are the most violent semen. Well, I mean, I think that makes sense if we look at history. Like, yeah. let's not get too dark. They just, they, <laughs> they only became semen to find a violent outlet for their boredom. Yeah. I mean, you're stuck on an island and it's like, yeah. what else are we going to do? <laughs> I, f- I feel like that, that becomes an especially dark statement when you make the semen semen parallel. <laughs> Because were violent, they always violent as be, semen before they were semen? <laughs> well, or did the semen get bored and decide to become violent? And what does it mean when your semen is slash are violent? <laughs> semen becomes semen. <laughs> semen becomes semen. Oh, God. But do violent semen come from violent, violent semen? semen. And that what the, made the semen violent? That is the question. I think people have been trying to figure that out for a long time. If you know why violent semen become violent semen, you just let us know. <laughs> anyone? Anyone? Euler. <laughs> I want to read, somebody write me a an essay, a philosophy essay, an essay <laughs> on human nature that and- parallels violent semen and violent semen. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. I, you know I'm what? Gonna read that. I'm going to guess there's something out there about that. If you know of one, especially if you know of one that is in the public domain, yeah. send it our way to 5050artsproduction at gmail.com and we will read it. Do it. Do it now. Also keep sending uh, authors. Yeah, keep sending stories. We've had some great ones. Some great ones. I would have never even probably stumbled upon that. I've got I've got a couple more recommendations in the bank, but those are about to run out. And I would love to have you guys do the work of choosing stories for me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that makes our lives makes... more interesting. And it makes it like, that makes neither one of us really know what's going to yeah. happen. Because... When you send the stories, I don't do as much like pre-research before I hand it to Ken to make sure it's not grossly upsetting or too long or all that stuff. So, yeah, send them on over. I'm like, whoo, I got a little warm during that story. I was yeah, like well, burning part- by the candle. And we also turned we off also the We also turned air. off all the fans. <laughs> and the, the refrigerator, eternal, which the eternal I need to go podcast, turn back on. The eternal podcast uh, trauma is... God, you can't have to, fans or air conditioning on when you record. We need to record faster so I can turn the air back on. <laughs> uh, all right. I think that's it. I think um, that's it. We'll see you next week. I think we're going to record another one while we're here in Minnesota, though. Yeah, we'll we'll be recording a couple more, couple more little things. Um, hey, uh, it looks to me as though we've got 212 listens so far. We do. 212 downloads. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Tell uh, your friends. For listening. Tell your friends. Tell your relatives. 
tell anyone who you see on the street. Just yell campfire classics at them and see what happens. People. I mean, you have a mask on. They won't even know it came from you, probably. Um, we're also looking into um, patron on Patreon mile marker uh, sort of, yeah. um, what you call it, benefits and the like. Things, things like when we hit 100 patrons... I will shave my head. That sort of thing. Yeah. So if you have ideas for mile marker patron benefits that would encourage you, or if you're already a patron, maybe friends of yours, to sign up and be our patrons, let us know what those might be. Yeah. What can, when be, we get to 20, what, what I'd can be willing we, to do some silly stuff. What What can we do to entice you to sign up on Patreon uh, at like the 20, at the 50, at the 100? Yeah. What what might encourage you to sign up? So uh, let us know. Let us, let us know. Because we're always looking for stupid shit to do. I yeah. love stupid shit. So on that note, great. Have a great day. Uh, this has been <laughs> Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Deep from in the forest, we're coyotes. Oh, oh, oh. Oh. <laughs>